invite you to bow your heads with me as we ask him to speak to our hearts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, today, Lord, we have already experienced worship through our songs of praise, through the scripture reading, through the baptism, a testimony of your amazing grace. Lord, you are good. You're very good. And now, Lord, as we open the word of God, we anticipate that you will have a word for us, that you will speak to our hearts. Speak, Lord, for we do want to listen. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would give us that discernment to recognize that voice and take to heart what you say today. Thank you, Lord, for answering our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Samuel Clemens, known by his pen name Mark Twain, once said, We are all like the moon. We have a dark side. We don't want anyone to see. It's true. There is a dark side to human nature. But today, I I thank the Lord, praise be to the Father of lights who dispels the darkness. A God who calls us into His marvelous light to experience the strength of allegiance. It is written, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out. Who called you out. You know, the Greek word, meaning the called out ones, the called out, ecclesia, is where we get the word, by the way, the Spanish word, iglesia. They both have the same meaning. They're both translated into the same English word, church. The called out ones. So that is to say that in the truest sense of the word, in the truest sense of the word, church is made up of men and women of all ages who are coming out, ecclesia, the called out ones. They're coming out of a dark place and they're stepping into his marvelous light in response to his call. Or rather, the church ought to be made up of such light seekers. The reality is, it's not. Completely, it's not. It's not. For though God calls everyone, believe me, He does. The Bible is is true when when it says that God desires that all be saved. And all. Come to a knowledge of the truth. For God so loved the world that whosoever, whosoever believes. He calls everyone, but not everyone answers. It was Jesus who said to Nicodemus, you know the story, do you? And there in John chapter 3, Jesus is having that conversation with Nicodemus. And he told him, he said, Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light. And so the picture is clear. Jesus is simply saying that we who have have the freedom of choice 
will make a choice. And that choice for many is a love for darkness. If only because they know that if they step into the light, they will be truly known. But here's the crux of the matter. Though they do not come to the light, they come to the church. And this is where God starts feeling a little nauseated. You know, he feels like throwing up. That's not even my, my words. John, John received that inspiration when he wrote Revelation. And, 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 and let's get something straight, though. It's, it's not when we say that God feels nauseated, feels like throwing up. It's not because he's sick of you. No. On the contrary, he is sick for you. He's sick to his stomach that he's not with you. He's sick to his stomach that you don't know him and he doesn't know your surrendered will. That makes him sick. He's not sick of us. He's sick for you. Yet many stubbornly continue to refuse the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Because after all, after all, we, we all, many, play the godly role very convincingly. You know, Christians attend church. And we'll take on the name. We'll take on the label. Going even as far as taking his name, Christ. I am a Christian. Taking his name in vain. We considered in part two that according to Christianity Today magazine, there's five types of Christians in the church. There's the active Christians, and we can say, as the common line is, they walk the walk and talk the talk. There's the professing Christians. They'll just talk the talk. There's the ritualistic Christians. They, they, they simply go through the, the motions, the rituals, and, and they do it very well. Then there's the private Christians. Oh, they're Christians. I had no idea. And then there's the cultural Christians. Third, fourth, fifth generation. Born and raised. That's all they know. That's all they've known It's how it's always been. But there's no ownership of the faith. You know, it's interesting, as we we take a look at these five terms, there's one that stands out. They walk the walk and talk the talk. and, And we can say, though, that the rest of them all but that one could be summarized in in a single term. They could all be summed up with the biblical term of lukewarm Christians. This is Christianity's today's terminology, but, but God would just simply say lukewarm. Lukewarm Christians. Not hot, not cold. It's the revelation's faithful and true witness that pronounced many in the church as lukewarm. And it's lukewarmness that makes God feel like throwing up. But God... Why, why do I make you feel like throwing up? Why do I feel, make you feel nauseated? Why, God? Why? 
Have you ever prayed that prayer? Maybe someone will say, oh, no, no, I've never prayed that prayer because I don't need to ask him that. Oh, really? Maybe that's precisely the problem. Because he continues in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing. But he continues with the diagnosis. He says, but you do not know that, in fact, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Hmm. So as we considered in in part one, there's really only two kinds of Christians. This passage that we just considered would say hot, hot and cold, but many are lukewarm. But then there's the saints and the hypocrites. There's the wise and the foolish. There's the sheep and the goats. You get the idea. There's really two classes of people. Termed in different ways in the scriptures, but yes, there's only two classes. Last, in part one, we looked at the two classes using the the terms wheat and tares. Wheat and tares. Mm -hmm. Wheat and tares. But the thing is, is that all these individuals of both classes congregate together every week. Jesus himself said that they, that they would be allowed to grow together. Remember that, and I quote, angel of light, in quotes, otherwise known as Satan, has perfected the act. And as we, as we considered last week, in part one, we discovered that as much as the Lord brings into the fellowship those who are truly converted, Satan, on the other hand, will do the same. He'll bring, oh yes, he'll bring some into the fellowship that are not converted. Paul, the Apostle Paul, encountered this several times in his journey from church to church. He wrote about it often. The Apostle Paul warned that men would be lovers of themselves, yet hold church office. That the unholy will sing hymns. That the the unloving will walk the foyer. That blasphemers will stand behind the pulpit. That lovers of money will sit on the church board. All acting religious, but rejecting the power that would make them godly. And the apparent dilemma is that we're all together. We're all dressed well. What decent person wouldn't want to make sure that nothing indecent is exposed? Any... Any reasonable person would would want to look good. Who wouldn't? From pew to pew, from smile to smile, so much is hidden from plain sight. But do we soon forget into whose house we've stepped into today? Do we soon forget into whose holy place we come to every time we attend church? Do you realize whose house this is? It's God's house. The author of of Hebrews plainly wrote in chapter 4, verse 13, that nothing is hidden from his sight. Oh, we, we, we we we, we can hide from one another and keep our secrets well. But not from him who sits on the throne. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. And did you ever ask yourself, why is it? Why is it that nothing, particularly in in his church, is hidden from his sight? I know that we would say because he's God. But, 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 But what would be a... 
an even more precise perspective to come to the conclusion that nothing is hid from his sight. I'll tell you why. One of the reasons, because the church you joined for some a long time ago, whether through baptism, through profession of faith, or maybe just attending on a regular basis, the reason, the reason nothing is hidden from his sight is because the church is, in fact, his body. Let that, let that just sink in a little bit. Nothing is hidden from his sight, particularly in the church, because the church is his body. His body. Apostle Paul adds, He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. It's no wonder that nothing is hidden from his sight. I came across a quote by Jim Rohn. He simply said this, Take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live. I remember a time when I learned a lesson, and I learned it quickly. One evening, after, after having gone on a hike with uh, grass going up above my ankles... It was, it was, you know, it was in the great outdoors, and it was later that I discovered a tick. It had a tick on me, one that was barely visible. It was stuck on me. A tick. You know how gross that is. Unfortunately, a day or even days had gone by because... The reason that I even noticed that I had a tick was because I spotted the, the classic bullseye rash. Mmm, you know that's not good. Now, do you suppose that when I recognized, I realized that there was a tick on me, do you suppose that I just carried on with no concern or or worry about that which was attached to my body? I don't think so. I, I immediately took measures to, to respond to that. Thankfully, I treated, I was treated on time with no complications. It was dealt with. I, I did something to address it and make no mistake about it. God, God takes care of his body too. God takes care of his body. The author of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 27 writes that some in his body will be shaken off. Thus removed and others who cannot be shaken will remain. And did you know that in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus alluded to the notion of the shaking in his instructions to his disciples when he sent them off two by two to go into every city and village to preach the gospel, to preach the good news. And, and in that context, he had something to tell them. I'd like for us to open our Bibles, go there to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, whether it's your Bibles or your devices, let's go to Luke chapter 9 to find something that Jesus himself said that sheds light on this, on this subject of the, of the shaking. found it interesting when I came across that word, particularly in this context that we are meditating on today. Luke chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. And the Bible says, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God 
and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither staves, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do, and do not have two tunics apiece. Verse 4, whatever house you enter, say, stay there, and from there depart. And notice verse 5, and whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. That phrase, shaking off the very dust from your feet, it caught my attention. What is the meaning of this symbolic act? Evidently, it's not just a random, isolated thought that Jesus used in his instructions. There there must be something more to it. And as I took a closer look, I realized that it was actually a, a symbolic act that was very common in that culture in various different types of interactions and relationships. You see, shaking off the dust was a symbolic indication that one had done all that could be done in a situation and therefore carried no further responsibility for it. I've done everything I can. I've done everything I can. And then some. But there's nothing more I can do. Shaking off the dust communicated that message. I've done everything I can. I've done everything I can. If their message and the disciples then went out and, and, and they obeyed the commission and they began to preach the good news. And, and if their message was received with joy, they were to stay and keep teaching. Why? Because there's a reception to what is being said. There's a teachable spirit. Carry on. Give them more. Keep teaching. Keep preaching. But if the message was rejected, there was no further responsibility. In other words, they were free to walk away with a clear conscience knowing that they had done all that they could do. With that in mind, let's let's apply it today. You see, today, the responses of those who gather week after week after week, they gather together to hear the good news, to hear the same sermons, to sing the, the same songs. Oh, we gather together. We all receive the word. And some will receive the message with joy. But they won't stop there. They don't just receive it by hearing it. There's some that are characterized by making application What does that mean, making application? They hear the good word, but they pack it in. They they pack it. They, They let it settle. And when they go back to their daily routines, back into the start of a new week, what they received during worship is not lost and forgotten in the busyness of everything else we have to do. No. They are disciplined disciples, discipline to say, I'm going to take the good word and I'm going to apply it in my life. And if I come to the understanding, to the revelation that by applying it, that means I'm going to have to make changes in my life. Not my will, but thy will be done. God, make me willing to be willing That's applying the word of God. It's digging deep. It's digging deep. Christians, wise Christians, are men and women with shovels because they dig deep. They dig deep. They apply the word of God. Unlike the foolish that show up and just build their house on sand dunes. 
Don't dig deep. And when the storms come, kaboom! Everything comes tumbling down. Because they were not disciplined to dig deep. You see, which which interesting, I got to mention this to you. Did you know that as you take a look at this parable in the various Gospels, it's interesting that in one of the Gospels, I can't remember which one, but then this is homework for you if you want to take a look at this a little closer. In one of the Gospels, it mentions that when the wise man and the foolish man show up, one's built on the sand, the other one built on the rock, right? But did you know that in one of the Gospels, when recording that story, it mentions that the wise man dug deep. He dug deep until he came to the rock. Interesting. He dug deep to get to the rock. Wise Christians dig deep. They apply the word of God. They apply. They apply. But if the message was rejected, as some did not apply the word of God in their daily living, thus they have no roots in them. And in the fullness of time, and time will tell, in the fullness of time, the demise of their spiritual life will be their own doing, a result of their own choices. The exercise of their own will. And there's nothing more that even God can do. If we have been coming week after week, time after time, hearing the word, hearing another sermon, hearing another sermon, another week of prayer, another so on and so forth, we're receiving, receiving, but yet not applying, starving the life of Christ in us, to our own demise, when it's all said and done, not even God can do much more. Because we have exercised our will to not answer the call, to not be wise disciples. It's our choice. It's our choice. And there's nothing that even God can do for this reason. As did the disciples, God, will also shake off the dust of his feet. For you see, King Solomon wrote, we all came from dust. We read the creation story of how the Lord God, for man of the dust of the ground, we are dust. And the same creator who spoke through the prophet Isaiah when he wrote in chapter 66, verse 1, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool of my feet. God's feet are upon the earth. His throne is high and lifted up, and his feet are upon the earth. Mm. Listen, those who come to church, but just talk to talk and And simply go through the motions but have no abiding, trusting relationship with Jesus. Will be as dust shaken off the Lord's feet. After all, it's his body. And the question I have now is, what will we all be shaken by? What's going to shake us? What are we going to be shaken by? What's going to seal and strengthen those who abide? What are we going to be shaken off by for those who don't? I'm going to touch on three attributes, three attributes that have shaken, are shaken, and will continue to shake the church until the very end of time. The first attribute is the voice or word of God. The word of God. The scriptures. The preaching of the word is going to shake the church. 
David said in Psalms 29 verse 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. Psalms 29.8. The voice, the word, the Bible is the voice of God. And the voice of God shakes. The Apostle Paul described the word of God as living and powerful. A discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We all have a collection of books. But this book is unlike any other book because it shakes us, not just emotionally and superficially as a thriller might. This book is one that shakes our very being, our very core. And what exactly does that mean? It simply means that a revelation From the word of God. And don't miss this. This is the revealed will of God, right? A revelation of or from the word of God will either lead you to harden your heart against it or be transformed by it. And guess what? There's not a third or fourth or fifth or sixth. No, no, no. Those are the two results that happen each and every time we receive a revelation from the Word of God. That's why Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11 tells us, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void. In other words, when you step into a a, a gathering space such as this one, and those who are watching online, this applies to you too. For your stepping place, your place, your gathering place is forever where you're ever watching this service today. From whatever gathering space we are, if the word of God is being heard, if there's a pulpit and there's a preacher... Enter at your own risk. Because one of two things will happen. You'll either be hardened against it or transformed by it. Transformed by it or hardened against it. That's why this book is living and powerful. Because one of those two results will take place in your life. Even after this hour. What you've heard here today. Not because it's me. I have nothing to do with this. It's because of the word of God. Whatever you hear today, as a result of this hour, your heart will either be hardened or transformed. And this happens every week. And you notice I use the word enter at your own risk. You know what that means, right? That means that having a full understanding of what you are doing and what you are doing is dangerous. Enter at your own risk. And what you are doing is dangerous in two ways. And it also means that you you alone are responsible for what will be the outcome based on your response. It's the, the will, the exercise of the will. The outcome is up to you. It's up to you. Not even God can change that. God gives you that choice, but enter at your own risk. Each and every time the word of God is preached, it has its effect. And both good, that's both good news and bad news. You see, it will, it will, be either, it will either be dangerous in two ways. It, either it will be dangerous to the old man or carnal nature, for the message of God's word has power to bring the old man down on his knees and surrender. That's the power of God. It can do that in your life. It can humble your carnal nature. And it can be dangerous to the old man. That's what Paul 
the Paul's term in referring to the carnal nature, the old man. It's dangerous to the old man. If the message is received by faith and applied. Or a neglect of its message will be dangerous to the vitality of your spiritual life. Because in doing so, and neglecting and being indifferent, if not being disciplined to apply and let it make a difference in your life, you will in turn be starving the life of Christ in you. So enter at your own risk. The choice is yours. And as we approach the end of time, some will not tolerate the preaching of the word. They're not going to tolerate it because they haven't been applying it. And what happens when you don't apply it, it doesn't change you to receive more. It doesn't change you. You see, the word of God has to change you in order to prepare you to receive more. And that preparation includes a reception of what God will reveal. And we'll be more readily prepared to receive what it, the more he has in store for us because we've been allowing the word to change us. See, what happens is if we don't allow, allow, the, if we don't allow the word to change us, but yet we keep gathering together, we're going through the motions, checklist, church attendance, check, check, check. We keep coming. What happens is we're not allowing the word of God to prepare our hearts to change us. And it's strengthening our carnal nature, which in this context is acting religious. Because we don't receive the power that could make us godly. By not receiving that and changing us, what happens is the word of God will get more and more straight. It's going to talk to us. It's going it's to start exposing sin in our lives. And that is going to get us upset. We're going to start getting angrier and angrier. We're not going to be receptive much longer. Because it's really, really stepping on my toes. It's, it's convicting me of sin. But I haven't allowed the word of God to change me. And so the time will come. The time will come where we will not tolerate anymore. And they will rise up against the word of God. And this will cause a shakening against God's people. Simply put, we can yield to the revealed will of God's word or we can resist its convictions. And the latter will be shaken out. That's why the scriptures say is preach the word. Preach the word. Because when we preach the word and we receive the word, that's when God's power is made manifest to change us. And we need to be changed. We need to be changed. Disciples of Christ are those who spend time biblically meditating on his word making application, practicing its principles, and they will not be shaken. They will not be shaken. A second attribute is prayer. Prayer shakes the church. Prayer shakes the home. Prayer shakes your innermost being. In Luke chapter, Luke recorded in Acts chapter 4 that Peter and John gathered together with other believers. They gathered there in the early church. They gathered in homes. And, and they, they reported. They talked. They even sang. They spent time together. But it's interesting that it's not until they prayed that the Bible specifically says that the place where they were assembled together was shaken. It was shaken. Prayer shakes things up. And that's both good news and bad news. You see, for the one, for one who is in the Word, you're grounded in the Word because 
you're choosing to spend time internalizing and applying the Word. And when that happens, and there's others that are interceding for the church in earnest, they're pleading with God that He will reveal His will to His people. They're pleading with God that the fire of the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon the church. Do you see where I'm going with this? If you're not in the Word, you're just going through the motions. And the church, the body of Christ, is pleading with God to baptize Him with the fire of the Holy Spirit, and their prayers are answered on your behalf. If you are, if you are in the Word, prayers, their prayers, will elevate you closer and yet closer to God's holiness. Their prayers will elevate you to God's throne room. The prayers will lift you up to God. But if you are not rooted in Christ, if you're not in the Word, meaning that you don't have a daily connection with Him, the very prayers that are lifting up the church into God's throne room will cause many in the church as being lifted up towards God... It's going to cause many to cry out and say, whoa, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. And they will be shaken out. Prayer will shake people out of the church. But disciples of Christ who spend time in communion with God themselves, when the church prays, They will not be shaken out. Instead, the prayers of the saints will lift you up towards God even more as we grow in Him deeper yet into an intimate relationship with Him. The Word of God shakes the church. Prayers shake the church. And a third attribute is The holiness of God. The holiness of God shakes His church. Exodus chapter 20 records a solemn moment when the holiness of God descended upon Mount Sinai. I've been to Mount Sinai. And it was only in my imagination that I saw that mountain shaking. An earthquake and thundering and lightning. God manifesting himself literally. Can you imagine? And this caused the mountain to smoke. But it's verse 18 that caught my attention. It says that when the people saw it at the end of the verse there, it says that they trembled and stood afar off. Some translations even say they shook. They shook. They trembled. They were shaken. The prophet Isaiah sat, saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He saw seraphim, which cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And verse 4 tells us in Isaiah chapter 6 that the post of the door were shaken. Shaken. Know this one thing. The church will be immersed in the holiness of God as she prays for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just as the early church was commissioned by Jesus, go tarry in Jerusalem and pray, pray, pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will be repeated. The body, the church will be a praying church that will pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the church will be immersed in the holiness of God. It will be. And we can either continue to yield to God's consuming work in us and let it purify us, or we can deny His sanctifying power, be shaken off. And then literally be consumed in the last day. That's what the Bible says. 
But disciples of Christ take time to be holy. They take time to be holy. And they will not be shaken out. There's a Christian song which speaks of allegiance. Heartfelt allegiance. It's earnest. The song simply says, it's a classic, pledge allegiance to the Lamb. With all my strength, with all I am, I will seek to honor His commands. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. This is my declaration. This is my prayer. You know, God spoke to Joshua about strength. When he told him, be strong, Joshua. Be strong and of good courage. Strength. Be strong, Joshua. And what was his response? He declared his loyalty, his allegiance. When he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, there is strength in allegiance as we stand on the promises of God. Just, just take a moment here to just truly, to simply be honest with yourself. Does your heart desire, deeply desire right now to be fully known and truly loved all at once? I have good news. The promise is for us. There's a God who loves you and fully knows everything about you. And he still truly loves you. Will you come with me to our last text in Romans chapter 8? Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. This is a promise that you can take to the bank. You can stand on this promise. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. There is a tribulation coming. We're going to experience it as nothing before. Verse 37, yet in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, meaning that even death is not the end of our story. There is a final chapter, but nothing even in life, and that includes your junk, that includes your filth, Nothing, nor life, nor death, nor angels. That includes the one-third. Nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nor height, nor depth of sin that you've fallen into. Nor any other created thing. Even the devil himself, he wants you to forget that he's a created thing. But that's what he is. None of this shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our God. The love of God embraces us completely and deeply and fully. Troublous days are coming, but Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Remember, there is allegiance in Strength, both individually and as a family and as the church. 
and today. Whether you have known Christ for a long time, or you're stepping out in faith, whether you've been in the church for a long time, and no one but God knows that you spend that time on your knees, you spend that time in the Word, or you know you've been in the church a long time, but you're going through the motions. Whether you're one or the other, as if Christ was appealing through me, right here, right now, do you pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God? If that is your choice, whether you're here today in person or watching online, Jesus sees you, He sees your heart, and He waits for a response. I choose to stand. Will you stand with me? If so, would you do so right now? I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, right here, right now, we fully embrace the grace that is pouring down upon us right now. Wow, Lord, you've been so patient with us. Your forbearance is beyond belief. But yet we stand together with our fellow brother, our fellow sister, that we know so well. But you know us more than we know ourselves. And you've given us this space and opportunity to make a choice, and we have. To take a stand, and we did. I pray, Lord Jesus, right now, that we stand on the promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I pray that you would seal our choice, our stance, with the fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit right here and right now. Thank you. Thank you. For we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.